Hey, what's up, everybody? Danny Pinto here from the Slesson Podcast. And before we get started, we just want to remind you that Manscaped is back as a proud sponsor of this Slesson Podcast. Remember that Europe's best soccer is back this summer. Of course, you remember because Portugal has made it to the round of 16. We want to avoid that messy midfield and clean it up with Manscaped. Be a proper man this tournament and shave your balls with a brand new Lawnmower 4.0 available in the United States and in Canada. And also get Manscaped's ultra smooth package. Join over 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer just for you, our Slesson Podcast listeners. Get 20% off plus free shipping worldwide when you use the promo code Slesson at Manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code Celeston at manscaped.com. 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com when you use the code Celeston. That's S-E-L-E-C-A-O. Hit the target and sure up your D this Euros with Manscaped. Hey, what's going on, everybody? This is Alfredo Fumasas from the Befica Podcast, and you're listening to the Celeston Podcast with Danny Pinto. Simos bending one for Torres. Eusebio. And we welcome you to episode number 48 of the Celeste Podcast, a proud partner of Portugal.net and a member of the Blue Wire Hustle Podcast Network. My name is Danny Pinto. I am your host. We want to thank you once again for making this podcast a part of your podcast listening day as Portugal, our beloved Slesão, has survived the group of death following their 2-2 draw with France in Budapest on Wednesday, finishing in third place in Group F. And now they are tasked with uh, heading to the round of 16 on Sunday as Portugal will take on Belgium in Sevilla. We will take a look back at the match against France and look ahead to the matchup against Belgium this Sunday uh, with our Portugal match analyst. That would be Eric Krakauer of BN Sports. Eric is in New York City. New York City! If you guys are in the States, you guys know that reference. Uh, but uh, Eric is in New York uh, for the next, uh, I think, couple of days here, and he's making some time for us uh, while he's in the Big Apple. We'll get his thoughts on uh, what has transpired in the last week or so uh, for this lesson in uh, Euro 2020 and uh, what problems uh, Belgium might give our defending European champions in their matchup upcoming on Sunday. Uh, plus, we will uh, get to your Twitter questions as well. Uh, taking a peek at those, as I always do prior to uh, each show. Uh, lots of questions about lineups and substitutions uh, and formations, uh, both on how Portugal should play and how to counteract uh, Belgium's style of, uh, of play as well. It's a, it's a great group of questions, as uh, we always appreciate your participation uh, on this podcast, uh, and and guys, what what can we say uh, more about uh, about our beloved captain, Unosu Capitão, 
uh, CR7 Cristiano Ronaldo. Uh, you can now call him CR109 as he has tied Ali Dai atop the international scoring list, uh, scoring both of Portugal's goals against France from the spot. The first to give the uh, the Seleção a 1-0 lead in the first half, and then his second from the spot ended up being the securing goal uh, for a draw to tie the matchup. Uh, that was the final score of 2-2. Uh, CR7 currently leads all scorers at Euro 2020 with five goals and has it, and has extended uh, his record amount of goals all-time in the tournament to 14. Quite the performance for Nosso Capitão, Cristiano Ronaldo and uh, Uma Sabat Palmas and a round of applause uh, for him on his uh, performance thus far in Euro or at Euro 2020. Uh, a reminder of all the ways you can follow, share, listen, and subscribe to our podcast. First, you can bookmark our website, slicepod.com. You can subscribe to our YouTube channel, as a lot of you have done in the last uh, couple of weeks here. We appreciate that. Uh, just go ahead and enter the Selesson podcast in the search engine and hit that subscribe button. You can follow us on Twitter at Selesson Pod. Hit us up on Instagram at Selesson Pod, Facebook.com slash Selesson Pod. Go ahead and like that page and share it with all your family and friends. And of course, you can email the show Selesson Pod at gmail.com. You can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, or any other podcasting platforms. Simply enter the Celestial Podcast in your search engine. And if you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, which a majority of you are, we appreciate that. If you can, leave a five-star rating and a nice compliment, nice comment to uh, or for uh, for your boy here. Uh, that would uh, be greatly, greatly appreciated. Again, every little bit of, uh, of subscribing and comments and anything you guys can do uh, to help out the show, um, it, it's just it's very much appreciated. It helps the show uh, be more visible. Uh, on all kinds of platforms, so uh, greatly, greatly appreciate that. So uh, before we get to uh, our discussion with Eric, uh, let's not forget about our partners over at the Joseph Ray Barbecue Company, serving delicious barbecue all over Northern California and the Bay Area. The Joseph Ray Barbecue Company is the right choice for your Celestin watching parties all tournament long, including this Sunday. It's a great day to have uh, barbecue. You're not working on a Sunday for the most uh, most of us anyway. It's a great time to get uh, together with some family and friends. You get a quote from JRBC by getting to their Instagram at Joseph underscore Ray underscore BBQ underscore CO. That's Joseph underscore Ray spelled R-A-E underscore BBQ underscore CO. Like this podcast, the Joseph Ray Barbecue Company is Portuguese American owned and operated, and they are ready to make your next gathering a tasty one hit up the pure delicious fire that is the joseph ray barbecue company on instagram and tell them that the celestial podcast sent you all right ladies and gentlemen we have reached the round of 16 which uh, means that uh, portugal has reached the round of 16 because we wouldn't be doing a preview of uh, the knockouts if portugal wasn't going to be involved uh portugal do get the 2-2 draw uh, against France uh, to uh, qualify for the round of 16. Portugal finishes third in the group of death in Group F, uh, and they finish uh, top amongst all third-place teams. Uh, that reward is, uh, or to be rewarded for that, is uh, a matchup against the number one team, according to FIFA, uh, Belgium, on Sunday, uh, June the 27th in Sevilla in Spain. And to talk about it, of course, is our... Portugal match analyst and uh, now becoming my best friend in the whole world, Eric Krakauer of BN Sports. <laughs> Remember to follow Eric on uh, on Twitter at Eric Krakauer. That's E R I C 
K-R-A-K-A-U-E-R. An audio-only podcast uh, this go-around, Eric, because uh, you're you're jet-setting and you're and you're flying all over the place, right? Where are you? Uh, where are you coming to us uh, from? I think that's properly worded, but uh, where are you currently, sir? Well, New York City, more specifically Long Island City. Um, after having a, a pretty good dinner, but happy to be back on after what was a grueling 90 plus minutes watching that Portugal, France, as well as that Germany, Hungary uh, on TV. It was, it was the equivalent of whiplash um, with all the permutations and everything that happened with all the goals. So excited to look back at the game that was against France and what comes up next against Belgium. Yeah, at some point uh, in, during the 90 minutes, Eric, uh, Portugal was in first place, second place, third place, and out. Uh, so, yeah, it, <laughs> it, whiplash is, is definitely the, the right, uh, the right uh, term for it. Uh, before we get started, what was for dinner in, uh, in the Big Apple? Where does, where does one Eric Krakauer go when he, he, when he revisits uh, New York City? You, you know, it's interesting because I was having a conversation I was uh, I was out with somebody and and he asked me, well, where do you want to go? Because you haven't been here in a while, and I just didn't know what was open. I didn't know what New York looked like after the pandemic. I haven't been here in almost two years. This is my home away from home. I grew up in Portugal, as you know. Moved to the United States when I was 18, and New York was my home for 17 years. Um, so uh, being in Miami. And coming back was uh, was something that I was looking forward to doing, but I didn't know exactly what the city was looking like. So I had a nice steak, and I try not to eat a lot of red meat, um, not only for my health, but also for the environment. So I had a nice skirt steak, and now I'm uh, perfectly pleased and satiated. That's that's code for he uh, he was he's well hydrated, folks. So that's good. It's- <laughs> that too. That too. That too. <laughs> Well, Eric, uh, we'll get to the, your thoughts on the game, but let me just uh, give uh, give everybody just a quick recap of uh, of what went down in the ninety minutes between Portugal and France. Uh, two changes to the uh, to the lineup uh, or to the starting eleven, I should say, as Hanat uh, Sanch was finally uh, introduced into the starting eleven along with João Moutinho. Out were William and uh, Bruno Fernandes. We'll talk about Bruno Fernandes uh, later on in. Uh, the discussion here, but uh, it would be the defending world champs uh, striking almost first, uh, about 15 minutes in. Paul Pogba would uh, find Kylian Mbappe, uh, who got behind the defense and was one-on-one with Hui Patrice, but Hui Patrice, who was just huge, huge throughout this entire match, uh, denied Mbappe uh, to uh, keep the score nil-nil. About 15 minutes later would be the first uh, goal scored by a CR 108 at that point, as uh, after a uh, a free kick uh, delivery from João Moutinho, uh, Hugo Loris, the uh, the French goalkeeper, tries to make a play on the ball. Danilo Pereira on the free kick flies uh, to the ball first on a header or an attempted header. Uh, Danilo gets there first. A bit of a dangerous uh, dangerous play, perhaps, but I'm uh, to defend uh, Yoris a little bit. Not sure what else he could have done in that uh, in that play, but he does uh, uh, foul Danilo in the box uh, and uh, gets uh, Ronaldo his opportunity to score, which he does the first goal of the match to make it one nil and to get him to one o eight on the all time record books. Uh, Eric, what did you think of the call? 
Uh, did you find it uh, to be a uh, a penalty? And could uh, Yoris actually uh, perhaps uh, escaped a, a much firmer decision? Yeah, well, first of all, I think it was uh, a, a nailed-on penalty. There's no doubt. Yoris misses the ball. He's outside of the six, and he, he lands a punch and an elbow on Danilo. That's clearly a foul. If it happens anywhere, anywhere else on the field, not that a, a field player would go out with his fist outstretched to try and reach the ball. And I think that the, the yellow card is the appropriate punishment for that, for that play. You know, I've seen a lot of people tweet and I've heard a lot of comments suggesting that uh, it's not a penalty that Yoris is going for the ball. And he is, and he has every right to do so. And as you mentioned, um, you have to defend him because that's exactly what he has to do in that situation. But he misses the ball completely and, and, punches Danilo in the face. So I think it's the, the correct call. Yellow card is, is, is sufficient and up would step Cristiano Ronaldo and finally scores against France. Yep. Uh, he hasn't scored against Germany. He hasn't scored against France. That was uh, the, the, uh, one of the themes uh, going into the tournament. He took care of both of those in this round. Uh, so he gets to one Oh eight. Portugal has a one nil lead. It would not last until the first half would be over because right before the half, uh, France would uh, would get a penalty of their own. I'd love to get your thoughts on this penalty called against <laughs> Nelson Smith as uh, uh, Kylian Mbappe again. Uh, he was a problem, uh, but I thought a I thought Portugal did an actual actually did a pretty decent job on him. He, he did get behind uh, the defense a few times, but overall I thought a, a decent job. But in this instance, he's uh, he's running towards the box. Uh, Nelson Smith, who I thought had a very decent game. Uh, this go around following uh, what was a nightmare for him against Germany um, follows him into the box. Uh, Mbappe, I will be kind and say that he um, just you know ran into Nelson Smith in the box, and that call the call was made by the referee to give the uh, the penalty to France. Uh, Eric, what were your thoughts on Nelson Smith? Again, to me, it was similar to uh, the Yoris play where. He's making a play for the ball. It ends up being a dangerous play and a rightful call against Yodis in the box to give uh, Portugal a penalty. I'm not so sure what else Nelson Smith could have done in that uh, in uh, in playing defense against Mbappe in that case. But what were your thoughts on the call of the penalty? Look, it's never a penalty. Uh, I've watched that replay over and over. Kylian Mbappe initiates the contact. Nelson Smith is. Uh, basically just standing there and gets knocked down by Kylian Mbappe. This was a makeup call, and that's what I wrote on Twitter, and I got attacked because I think a lot of people interpreted that as me saying that the penalty on Danilo wasn't actually a penalty, and that is certainly what not what I meant. What I meant was that Laos made a difficult decision when it came to the Yoris uh, penalty, and the reason I say difficult is because you don't usually see that, do you? We see goalkeepers coming out to punch a ball very often, and you know routinely they make contact with attacking players, and no penalty is called. It's basically chalked down to incidental contact. And because he made that difficult uh, decision and the correct one in my assessment, he then makes up for it in the Mbappe and Semedo uh, clash. Having said that, once he makes that call. There is no way that VAR is going to overturn it because there just isn't clear and obvious evidence to, to do so. So once Lois makes that mistake, 
that penalty is going to be um, is going to be uh, uh, um, uh, bar is not going to overturn yeah. it. It's going to be held up, and you know France has an opportunity to equalize it, and and kill it, and uh, Karim Benzema uh, does what Cristiano Ronaldo did on the other side. Uh, to play devil's advocate, Eric, if it's not called a penalty, do you think VAR would overturn it? No, I don't. Okay, because it's one of those it's one of those situations where look, uh, and, and this is a thing where uh, a thing where I think the the tournament has done uh, very well, or the referees have, have handled this very well, is that VAR is supposed to be used when a decision is clearly and obviously wrong, and Given that there was contact and Laws makes that decision, there is no way that VAR is going to overturn it. And the inverse of that is that if he doesn't call that, VAR would determine that it would be incidental contact. So it's one of those catch-22 situations that we see now with VAR, but I understand why VAR didn't overturn it, even though I don't think it is a penalty. So at 1-1, we are at the half. Obviously, a, a gut punch for the Slesson right at the end of the first half, but uh, all to play for in the second half. There would be a change uh, as uh, Portugal would start the second half as uh, João Palinha would make his debut in the tournament. Coming on for Danilo, uh, Danilo obviously, uh, you know he gutted out the rest of that first half, and I was actually surprised that he didn't come out uh, after uh, being elbowed there by, uh, by Hugo Lloris um, in... In looking at quotes after the game and even quotes uh, today, we're recording here on a, on a Thursday, um, he was taken out for precaution, uh, but he has returned to normal uh, training uh, with the with the team, so that is good news as we uh, we get towards uh, towards Sunday. But uh, João Palinha would come in uh, to begin the second half, but it would be another gut punch uh, to, to begin the second half as... You know, Portugal. It's it, Eric. It seemed like a, a almost carbon copy of what happened in Germany or with the Germany match. As you know, you're looking for a response from the national team after you you know being up one nil. Uh, they get two goals scored against them in the first half against Germany. Uh, that last goal or that uh, goal in the uh, in, at the end of the first half against France. You're hoping for a response, and it was. Uh, it seemed like it was a deja vu all over again as uh, Kareem Benzema would get his second of the match on a gorgeous pass. Uh, from Paul Pogba uh, to get the uh, the French a two one lead at that point, and I know you were uh, doing the Twitch thing with uh, Jimmy Conrad and that EPL player to be named later, which I never got his name, so I apologize for that. But uh, <laughs> what what was the response? Like, what was your gut feeling at that point, and what was the response on the Twitch uh, when uh, when the second Benzema goal uh, went through? Well, you know, you talked about the Mbappe uh, opportunity in the first half, and it was Paul Pogba who laid the, the red carpet ball for Mbappe. Rui Patricio makes an exceptional save, although Mbappe could have hit that that shot a little bit better. I think that had that gone in, he may have actually been ruled offside just marginally, and Paul Pogba managed to outdo that initial pass in the first half with that silver platter service uh, for Kareem Benzema for the second goal. And my my immediate reaction as a fan on that Twitch show with Jimmy Conrad and uh, David Myler, who used to play for Hull and, and, and Brighton and among a couple of other clubs, was to criticize the Portuguese national team for not closing down Pogba quickly enough and uh, uh, Ruben Dias for being caught flat-footed. But one thing that Myler said, and he was 100% correct in saying this, and 
in some ways correcting me is he said, you know what, there's sometimes it's not necessarily that a, a team has done something wrong. It's just that the team that has scored has done something so incredible. And that pass from Pogba was exceptional. It was just exceptional. The, 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 the pace on the ball, the, the amount of curve on it to, to just fall into the path of Kareem Benzema, who made an exceptional run uh, and then finished the, the playoff uh, brilliantly. So this was one of those situations where just a masterful play uh, beat the Portuguese national team. And I don't think you can really point fingers at how they defended in that situation. So it's 2-1 at that point, and uh, things are a little bit uh, on the gloomy side. As uh, uh, Meanwhile, as they're losing that game, uh, Hungary is also beating Germany, and a, a Germany or a Germany loss plus a Portugal loss at that point would have had Portugal out of the tournament. So with about 30 minutes left to go, another penalty is called in favor of the national of uh, the Portuguese national team as uh, Jules Conde had uh, hit or had uh, uh, been called for a handball. Um, this one, I thought, out of all three, uh, would be the – I mean, I guess I would put this one in terms of controversial in quotes there, right in the middle uh, as – I, you know, at at some point, Eric, you know, I, I got to take the the uh, the red and the green uh, lenses off sometimes and, and look at this objectively. I think it's a penalty, but I also can't fault Kund for 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 being in that position because he's trying to defend. His arms obviously can't be at his side every single time because that's not a natural position. But what did you think of the call, uh, the second uh, penalty call in favor of the Slesson? Oh, I think it's a hundred percent a penalty. This is one of those uh, situations where defenders need to understand that they can't keep their arms or can't have their arms in an unnatural position away from their bodies. I I thought that this was the correct decision. You know, it's unfortunate for Jules Kunde, but we've seen this called over and over again this season and the season before that. And despite the changes to the handball rule, that were made by IFAB, it is still a penalty. He makes himself bigger. Um, correct decision from Mateus Lawas. And following that call, Ronaldo would step up again and then uh, hit the game uh, game tying goal, tying the game at two, uh, making it uh, 109 international goals, now uh, tied with Ali Daye, Daye, excuse me, um, atop the international uh, scoring mark uh, for the men's side at 109. Got to be honest, Eric. I didn't think he'd get to 109 uh, in, in this tournament. I certainly this didn't. Tournament. I yeah. certainly didn't think he was going to get to 109 during group play. Uh, obviously, uh, three penalties will will help that situation. But still, uh, you know, let, let's we'll, we'll we'll get back to the game in a second here. But obviously, it Ronaldo is not the Ronaldo of old. But this is, you know, this accomplishment is a is a career accomplishment and one that, you know, a, a career that is arguably one of, if not the best in the history of this game. Um, I, I'm not going to try to have you, uh, you know, s- uh, summarize what the 109 mark means, but to have to have him do it in a in a stage like the Euros. And, you know, he's he's scored in every single tournament he's ever played in uh, on the senior side, Eric. The, you know, you know the, the club, you know, club-wise, he's, uh, he's now over 700 club and country. 
what do you what do you make of this accomplishment for Cristiano Ronaldo? Um, and I guess I'll, I'll ask this from a Portuguese perspective: how much how much pride do you have in having a guy with his skill set, with his impact on the game, being Portuguese um, as both a fan and as someone who is from uh, is from the motherland? Well, let me start, first of all, with the the accomplishment in the tournament, which I think is a double-edged sword, right? It's a double-edged sword because the, the, the positive is that he has managed to accomplish this feat in the major tournaments. The negative is that over the last few years, the moniker Benaldo has been thrown at Cristiano Ronaldo. Sure. So the fact, so the fact that he, he did achieve this incredible feat, but with a penalty, I think is going to be something that the tractors are going to point to, uh, and I, I and, and I believe that's silly. Okay, because there's an an inordinate amount of pressure placed on players in tournaments like this, even when they take spot kicks, and actually. We've seen that in this tournament where I think only one of the first five penalties was converted. That penalty being the first one that Cristiano Ronaldo scored uh, against Hungary, if I'm not uh, mistaken. So um, in in terms of your last question, well, I'm incredibly proud. You you know, I remember moving to the United States as an 18 year old and uh, that was a long time ago, and <laughs> Portugal Portugal didn't really register on the footballing radar in the United States, and that's not necessarily saying much because when I moved here in 1999, um, you know, it was difficult to just watch football on TV. Period. I remember having to figure out what pubs to go to during the Euro 2000, 21 years ago. Um, so when when Cristiano Ronaldo and Mourinho, Jose Mourinho, despite the fact, as you know, that I dislike him with some intensity, <laughs> um, I dislike his attitude and and the football that he that he plays. Uh, they they have put Portugal on the map um, in terms of football and and just a lot more than that. So I, I am very proud that Cristiano Ronaldo has achieved this. And I think that Cristiano Ronaldo is a remarkable professional. And I know that I've criticized him in this podcast. And I've read some of the comments that people have written in response to my uh, criticism. I think like most Portuguese, I have a love-hate relationship with Cristiano Ronaldo. Sure. But the fact that he will surpass, without a doubt, Ali Day as the the leading goal scorer in the international matches is something that every Portuguese fan, every Portuguese supporter should be very proud of because Cristiano Ronaldo has managed to, to put Portugal on the map in the minds of, of uh, so many people. And I will underscore that point by saying this. I once went on a date in college with a, a, a young woman who asked me if Portugal was in Spain and I once met somebody else who asked me if Portugal was in Argentina Hmm. while I was in college so that just shows you how well geographically inept so many of the people I went to college (laughs) with were but also how Portugal didn't really register with people so it is important uh, to see Cristiano Ronaldo achieve this feat without a doubt and he deserves it for the professionalism that he's shown over two decades of playing professional football 
Eric, I won't ask you where you went to college because I don't want to besmirch the uh, the institution that gave you uh, your diploma. We'll just leave it at that. But uh, <laughs> we all know where point. yeah we all know where Portugal is now. That is, that is for sure. So after the Kunde uh, handball, he nails the uh, the the penalty, gets to one hundred and nine, gets the match to two two, which is where the match would end. Uh, I thought there was uh, some uh, some interesting moves by Fernand Sanch. Uh It got really inexperienced in that uh, in that midfield. Uh, with about 20 minutes left, when uh, João Moutinho, who I thought uh, did a serviceable job in uh, in the 72 minutes he played, uh, Huben Nevsch came in, not William, uh, to play in the middle with uh, with uh, uh, João Palinha. Um, you had Diogo Dolot for the last 10 minutes because uh, Nelson Smith who uh, had to leave, uh, which uh, I think Fernandes. Uh, confirmed was just exhaustion, um, and I, who could blame him trying to track with uh, killing Mbappe for mm-hmm. for eighty minutes? But uh, Diogo Dalot uh, again. I, let's go back to your tweet from uh, from the beginning of the tournament, Eric. Uh, the only right back on the Portugal roster right now to ha- not have a goal scored against him or the team score against uh, while he's on the field an entire twelve <laughs> minutes. So uh, you are. Uh, I was you, right. You're, Nostra- you're, you're Nostradamus, absolutely. Um, but uh, I cannot go uh, without uh, talking about um, the save by Hui Patricio uh, with about 20 minutes left on what was just an exquisite strike from Paul Pogba, a, a no look. Uh, I, I saw it about two, three times on the ball. Did he just look that off? And the uh, the bend, the curve, and just the outstretched arm by Hui Patricio, uh, very reminiscent of... Uh, 2016 in the final on uh, on uh, um, Griezmann, but uh, well, Griezmann had yeah, absolutely. What what was the what was the reaction on uh, on the Twitch channel on on that shot and on that uh, and on that save? Well, th- that that save for me is the save the save of the tournament so far. Uh, I think he uh, overshadowed the two saves that Robin Olsen made to deny, I think, Morata and then Gerard Moreno in the second half in Spain's first game. It was just a, it was just an unbelievable uh, save. He, he put a cape on, you know, he put an S on his chest, and he, he saved Portugal just like he did in, in 2016. And this is the Rui Patricio that I think Sporting Club Portugal supporters had gotten used to for, for years and all of us as Portuguese national team fans have also gotten used to in that tournament in 2016. You know, we all remember that that save to deny Griezmann's absolutely. header, which was absolutely seemingly perfectly placed. But he made other excellent saves. Um, you know, he made a couple of them against Hungary. He made one against Croatia. Uh, so uh, this is this is what we've gotten used to from him. And this is after a very shaky performance against uh, against Germany. Um, so he's won us back over. And Paul Pogba, let me just talk about him for a little bit. Because sure. over the last few years, so many people have really pointed the knives at him. When Mourinho was in charge of Manchester United, he had this public feud with, with Paul Pogba. And I think Pogba, in a way, lost a little bit of motivation. But when he plays with the French national team, he is just easily among the very best players in the world. We saw with the passes that he made to Kylian Mbappe and then to Benzema for that second goal, that incredible shot, which forced that unbelievable save from Rui Patricio. He is just an outstanding, phenomenal player 
and you just wish that he showed that week in and week out uh, with the red of Manchester United. Well, as a Spurs fan, I, I disagree, but that's for another story. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, we, we get to the end here, 2-2. Uh, obviously, there was a lot of kicking around uh, of the football with about 10 minutes left after uh, Germany had tied at 2-2 themselves against Hungary. I, I man, Eric, I, I felt so bad for Hungary because – you know they had they they had the toughest of all roads in this group of death. It was literally a group of death for them more than any other team in this group. Uh, they they played they played head to head with Portugal for about eighty five minutes before uh, the the fluke goal by uh, Rafael Gahaidu. Uh, they draw against uh, against France uh, in Budapest themselves. They have to go to Hungary or excuse me to Germany to take on Germany. Uh, get that first goal early on. Uh, a, a, a just I think what 90 seconds after Germany ties it at one, they take the lead back, and you look you're looking at it from a from a, a Portugal perspective. Obviously, you're you're making you're hoping that you know you either ha- stay in the lead or you get the draw with this with, with the result. But then obviously Germany gets uh, gets the uh, the draw with seven minutes left to go. Um, I I thought Hungary had a lot to be proud of from the way that they played in these three uh, group matches. Oh yeah, I couldn't agree more. And it's just such a shame that Gulashi makes the mistake for the Germany's first goal, uh, where he comes out to 100%. try and punch that that cross away, because he's been one of the best goalkeepers in, in the tournament. Uh, he made some key saves against Portugal, did the same against France, and then a, a, a against Germany. And I thought that the 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 way that they uh, attack Germany in that game. You know, we saw a growth from Hungary. We saw excellent defending throughout the three games, but I felt that they attacked in transition uh, infrequently against Portugal in the first game. They became a little bit more audacious against France and obviously got the one point there and then really attacked Germany in that last game, knowing that they needed to win it in order to move on to the next stage. And as I was on that Twitch show, I couldn't help but think, my God, everything that could possibly go against Portugal is going against Portugal. A non-existent penalty called on Semedo and Hungary in Munich beating Germany. I just couldn't believe it. I, I felt I felt like singing, you know, a Fado song during those, <laughs> uh, those games. It would have been very appropriate. Um, so yes, I agree with you. Given given the 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 performances that they put on in those three games, I believe that they deserved more. Uh, but ultimately, the, the quality of the three big teams in in Group F in the Group of Death just came to the to the very top at the very end. Can you can you give us a little uh, a little Amalia? You know, can you can you share with the with the listeners a, a little a little father, or you want to save that for maybe? No, for, def- for the... definitely, definitely <laughs> not, definitely not. But I will say this: I could not stand father when I was a kid, and now I listen to it very often. Yeah, you know, as as we get older, we appreciate the the uh, the the art that is uh, that is what our parents loved and uh, and and forced us, you know, to listen to as a, I I went and I actually saw uh, Amalia Hudrig as a kid. She was I, oh wow. I, th- I think you know what? I want to 
I want to check that with my dad. I'm not going to do that right now. But <laughs> but yeah. I just remember I remember going to a father night uh, in the Central Valley here in California, and I think she may have been there. I don't know if she's you know what. It's that's a story for another day. I could be lying. It's late. It's it doesn't matter anyway. Um, so we go to June twenty seventh now, which is this coming Sunday, Eric, and uh, the number one team uh, according to FIFA awaits uh, the the uh in Belgium. They are the winners of Group B. Uh, they got uh, to the round of sixteen uh, with three wins, uh, a seven to one uh, goal ratio here. Uh, seven goals for one against uh, victories against. Uh, Russia, uh, Denmark, and Finland. Uh, the first argument you'll hear from Portuguese fans, of course, is going to be like, well, they haven't played anybody. Uh, but when you have a team uh, like uh, like Belgium that has the likes of um, you know, KDB and uh, Eden Hazard and his little brother uh, Thorgan and uh, Romelu Lukaku, who is quite possibly the best striker going right now in the world, um, there's plenty to worry about with this Belgian side, isn't there? Oh, yeah. And there's another point that you didn't make there, and that is that they play with two wingbacks, three center backs and two wingbacks. Mounier on the right, um, who's very dangerous, playing for Dortmund this season after a couple of really good seasons with uh, PSG. So this is, this is a team that has no real weakness um and out of all the teams that we could have been matched up against this was the last one you would have wanted to face in the round of 16 uh you know uh one of uh one of our colleagues over at at portugal.net nathan moats who's been on this show numerous times uh i thought he he made a good point in terms of how uh how we get to the round of 16 and it's not so much about who we would play against but how we got there in terms of the france matchup and uh, what, I, what I'm going, uh, what I'm getting to is, there's no sense in getting to the round of 16 if you're gonna limp in. Like you don't, you wouldn't want to get to to the round of 16 and play like you played against Germany and then just get lambasted uh, against you know whether it, it was Belgium or or uh, the Netherlands. I think were the uh, was the other uh, opportunity yeah. in in the round of 16. You know, at that point, it's like, what was the point of just getting there if you're gonna just put up a a terrible effort. And you know what? With this matchup, Eric, um, this is a tough matchup for the Celeste song. We mentioned it in, in the previous uh, episode. And, you know, you know, you mentioned that both of those teams in Belgium and in, and in, uh, and in the Netherlands were possibly really bad matchups stylistically for this uh, national team. However, with the performance that Portugal put in against France, and I'm not saying that that performance should – kill anybody's nerves as you're going into a matchup against the number one team in the world. Uh, I am in a much better spot, I guess, optimistically that at the, at least the effort should be a lot better should be uh, compared to what uh, we saw uh, in Munich just a few days ago. Yeah, I would agree with that. I, I think that, you know, we were all dejected after the performance against Germany and in some ways, uh, galvanized by what we saw against France. Uh, there were still some problems with the, the performance. Uh, I think that uh, a lot of people are questioning uh, Ruben Diaz right now. And, and some of that, I think, is a little bit unfair. There are some question marks about whom the person who the personnel should be, uh, particularly in midfield, facing the Belgium national team. 
but we definitely did see a team and a performance that mirrored a more confident side, a side a lot more um, trusting of its abilities. And I think that had to do with a few inclusions in the lineup. You mentioned Montinho. Uh, I thought Montinho was very good. His sort of veteran now, his ability to calm down the rest of the team in the midfield is something that, that was truly important. Um, Renato Sanch, with his ability to burst forward, to, to take on um, markers and beat them on the dribble, was, was, was a key. So uh, I think what I'm trying to say is that it seems to me that after all the understandable um, criticism that was leveled at Fernando Santos in terms of his personnel choices, um, he may have found the right balance in terms of players to get the results that we think that this Portuguese team is able to get in this tournament, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I thought uh, the the combination of Moutinho and Renat Sanz to play alongside uh, Danilo in the first half and then uh, João Palinha in the in the second. I just thought that it gave the the midfield a little bit of balance. Um, yeah. because, you know, Renato, uh, and, and our buddy Cristiano Oliveira, I think said it perfectly. Uh, he was, he was a bull in that, in that midfield. He would, I, there were times Eric, where there, there would be a, a player, uh, from France trying to go on a 50, 50 and there would be, uh, a, a collision and not such would not move where he stood and it would be, it would, it, you know, he would get the possession. Uh, I thought he was, he, he added a, a dynamic uh, element to the midfield uh, to go alongside with the the calm, cool, collected um, work that uh, João Moutinho put in uh, for the majority of the match. Um, I think it'll be interesting to see wh what this lineup will look like, uh, given that it is a short turnaround, uh, shorter at least for uh, than than Belgium. Belgium gets uh, two more by days, two days, yeah, by two yeah. more days of rest. Uh, they do play in Spain, so um, I, I think uh, they're going to be moving. Or yeah, but it's going to be 93 degrees that day. They're playing at around 8 or 9 p.m., but uh, it'll be 93, uh, what is that, 34 Celsius, I think, uh, for all our uh, Canadian listeners there. Um, but um, it's going to be a hot one. Uh, there are players who uh, could use a rest. I think, uh, think Bruno Fernandes, I think, given the – the amount of minutes that he has played in the last, you know, twelve to fifteen months, um, it, it could be he's a, he's just gassed. I also think it could be a just a stylistic uh, thing with him in the in in this Nunsunch lineup. But um, in looking at the Belgium game, what do you think Nunsunch will do uh, with this starting lineup uh, compared to what we saw against uh, against France? Uh, on what is that now, Wednesday? Well, I don't think you can drop Renat Sech, so let's start there, right? Uh, I thought he was he was excellent, particularly in the first half. He did give away possession on a, on a few occasions, um, which just brings me back to a point I made a couple of podcasts ago with you, that 
there is still an immature in his game, but that is overshadowed by the positivity that he brings in possession. It's always a positive move. It's always forward, right? He, he wants to have the ball at his feet and he wants to make a vertical pass. And that's something that we didn't see enough from the Danilo and William Carvalho combination. And I think you, you hit the nail on the head when you used the word balance to describe what we saw from, uh, from João Moutinho, Danilo, and Renato Sancho, because these are guys that have very different attributes. So I wouldn't be surprised if we thought if we saw that trio once again. But I thought Bellinia was excellent in in the second half. Yeah, me too. Uh, considering the the occasion, uh, a young player. I know he's 24 years old, and and perhaps he's matured a little bit um, later than than people expected him to. And in many ways, he was almost discarded at Spartan until Ruben and Mourinho uh, um, took over. Uh, but Yinya just showed a, a maturity, a discipline uh, in, in that game that I was very, very impressed with. And, and sort of in some ways, uh, I think, confirms some of the calls from some reporters in Portugal, some journalists, who had suggested that this is a guy who should have been uh, a first 11 player from the very start of the tournament. Um, so whoever had said that, and I certainly was not one of the pundits, if you will, who said that, I think they were correct. Um, so if he starts in place of Danilo, which I don't think will happen, I don't think anybody can be surprised about that, considering how fresh he is and just how good he was against France. I mean, just think of the high-pressure situation that you're not only placing him in, but also... Dalot, who's making his first international cap, yeah, absolutely uh, against against France. So he was he was simply outstanding. Yeah, uh, I was one of the pundits, but I just kept forgetting to say it in this in this podcast, Eric. So I, I, I can't I can't take the credit. Uh, a couple of uh, a couple of our uh, our Twitter questions surrounded um, uh, João Palinha. Um, you know, uh, you wouldn't be surprised if he. If he if he made the starting eleven for the the matchup coming against Belgium, but your your gut feeling is that you don't think he will. No, I don't think he will. Uh, I'd like him to. Though. Sure, I really I really would. I really would like to see him start because he is tactically a very disciplined disciplined player. So not only is he a guy who has all the attributes for his position, and someone who I hope will remain with Sporting for for another season. Um, but, but he's just very disciplined. And we saw that when France in the last 10 minutes really put the pedal to the metal and tried to get that win with nothing to lose if they lost. Um, he, he just he just stood out in terms of his poise. Yeah, absolutely. We're talking with uh, Eric Krakauer here of BN Sports. He, of course, has been our Portugal match analyst throughout Euro 2020. And you can follow Eric on Twitter, uh, if you're not already, at Eric Krakauer, that's E-R-I-C-K-R-A-K-A-U-E-R. We are uh, reviewing uh, Portugal's match uh, against France and previewing now uh, the round of 16 matchup against uh, Belgium. If uh, the uh, if the uh, national team is able to get by Belgium, uh, they would take on the winner 
of uh, Italy and Austria on July the second. That match would take on or would uh, take place, I should say, in Germany in Munich. Uh, obviously, uh, bad uh, <laughs> bad memories from uh, that uh, stadium for sure for uh, for the national team. But uh, another opportunity could be had there to. Uh, to uh, you know, get uh, get further down into this uh, into this tournament, uh, a tough bracket for sure. Uh, uh, that's this side of the bracket uh, for this lesson. That is for sure. Uh, but uh, another question here, Eric, um, is from uh, Andre Vega. Uh, should Jota drop from the eleven to give him some rest? Uh, feels like his uh, his feels like all his action uh, style ran out. Uh, of a little steam versus France, and coupled with uh, fewer recovery days, could mean someone like Rafa, Felix, or even uh, uh, or uh, Pedro Gonçalves uh, could be an interesting move at left forward. Um, throw in Andre Silva in that uh, in that case too. What do you think about uh, possibly dropping uh, Diogo Jota just based on maybe some fitness? You know, I, I've been thinking about that question. I remember reading it. Uh, I think in terms of of how Belgium play with the three center backs, the 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 qualities that he brings to the game, uh, Diogo Jota, I think are essential in this one. Of course, how gassed he is is going to be part of the the equation. But if he is in good shape, I think he has to start this game. Um, you know, one one of the weaknesses with this. Belgian national team is I don't think that Aldevereld uh, denier if he if he starts this game and Vertonghen Vertonghen out of the three of them is is maybe the best but I I think the three those three players have a little bit of trouble playing out of the back and Diogo Jota is the kind of guy who can press them and harass them enough into mistakes I believe it was against Denmark in the second game Belgium ended up winning that game. But Denier, I think, makes the mistake that leads to Denmark's first goal. He's probably their weakest link. Uh, he's good in the air. He's not a bad man marker. But with the ball at his feet, he makes a lot of mistakes. And if you put pressure on him, he's more likely to make those mistakes. And out of all those players that you mentioned that could come in, I don't think there's one of them who offers that sort of um, – energy like Diogo Jota does. So if he is fresh, and that is the biggest question, I, I think he needs to start this game. Okay, fair enough. Uh, we go to uh, Nick. Uh, Nick, you can uh, follow Nick on Twitter at uh, AFC underscore Nick01. Uh, looks like he's a uh, an Arsenal fan, so uh, uh, my condolences to him. Um, <laughs> <laughs> how do you see Fernand Sanch, uh, Eric, addressing the 3-4-3 formation uh, of Belgium in this game in comparison to the game against Germany? And then also, you know, we've talked about, you know, the – you know how balanced the team seemed to be uh, in the uh, in the game against France. Um, do you see or could you uh, envision any changes to the starting eleven um, in the in the upcoming matchup on Sunday against uh, against uh, Belgium? Well, let me start with this. Uh, you know, Gosens was the guy who wreaked havoc against Portugal. Um, on the left side of Germany's 3-4-3. Um, three, three. Hazard, who has been a player who has played in that position for Belgium, is very different to Gosens. He's less vertical. 
He's right-footed, which means that he's inclined to cut inside. Gosens is left-footed and very, very vertical, so he takes that, uh, he, he attacks that end line, that, that byline. So I think that changes the dynamic a little bit, at least insofar as that side is concerned. We know for a fact that Fernando Sanchez is going to rely on a back four. Guerreiro, um, I think, is going to be the guy who is starting there. Uh, I don't know if Nuno Minch is completely recovered from his knock. Uh, he did. He did he, train. He did train fully with the with the national team uh, uh, Thursday. So as of this recording, he did train fully. I mean that could be a name because of the uh, of the wear and tear on on a long season um, for Rafael Gahed. That could be an option at left back, but I think it'd be a big call to make to throw him in uh, in a round of sixteen matchup against uh, against the number one team in the world, Eric. But what are your what are your thoughts on maybe if Noon Minch could, got the call? Yeah, I I, I think it would be a big call. So I don't think that's going to happen. I think Gahed is going to start Munier on the right is a, a very capable uh, right wing back. But I, I think that he he's not exactly the best in the attacking third, and that might make it a little bit easier for Rafael Guerreiro. He's a bit awkward, Mounier. And I know that he scored in, in the first game, but he doesn't have the best feet. His crossing is certainly not the best. Um, so I don't think that Belgium, despite playing with that system, will pose as much of a threat as Germany will. And I was a little bit, um, I, I was happier, let's put it this way, I was happier with the defensive effort that I saw from Bernardo Silva on the right and Diogo Jota on the left against uh, France, especially Bernardo Silva, because he was so poor in helping out Nelson Semedo, but he really learned his lesson from that game against Germany he got stuck in a lot more than we saw uh, in that um, second game. So I think that we're still going to see that 4-1-4-1, and we're just going to see more discipline from whoever starts on the wing. And I think it will be Bernardo Silva um, and um, Jota once again. Okay, we go uh, – got a couple more here. Um, Kevin Nace uh, on Twitter. Uh, Kevin – Kevin set bingo. That's a nice one. All right. Uh, thought on uh, thoughts on Hoffa's impact through the group stages. He made a splash in the first match, getting some assists and generating the penalty, but then not much else. Uh, also, uh, he's asking uh, uh, Eric, could Brun Fernandes start in this match upcoming against Belgium, given that he got uh, some rest um, and only came on for the last uh, 10, 15 minutes against, uh, against France? Could you see a scenario where, Bruno Fernandes gets to start, or do you think uh, he might come off the bench? I do see a scenario where he would start. Um, for example, you already mentioned the fact that Jota has a lot of minutes in his legs and that he ran out of steam against France. So that could be a potential plug-in, but that would also mean a change in system. If I were a betting man, which I'm not, I think I, I would bet that Bruno Fernandes would start on the bench. He hasn't translated his club form into the national team. He did against Israel in the last uh, friendly, and I thought he had a very good second half against Hungary, but he certainly is a shadow of the player that we've gotten used to when he's played his club football for Sporting and Manchester United. So uh, I think we'll see a very similar lineup to the one 
that we saw against France, very much like we saw the exact same lineup against Germany as we saw against Hungary. Bruno Fernandes has simply not done enough to warrant his inclusion in the starting eleven. And uh, last question here for you, Eric. It's uh, from uh, Ronaldo's right foot. Uh, you can follow Ronaldo's right foot uh, at Bodega Bogey. I, I can't make these up, man. I swear to God. Um, <laughs> but he he actually uh, brings a, a very interesting question, and and um uh, and I can't wait to get your take on it here. Does coming out of the group of death, playing the likes of Germany and France, already give Portugal an edge against Belgium, who have yet to play against a high level of opposition? Uh, Germany could be the wake-up call for Portugal, which is something that I don't think uh, I, being uh, being the the, the tweeter here, um, that he doesn't think Belgium have had yet. Um, how much how much weight does getting out of a group like Group F for Portugal carry uh, to the next uh, to the knockouts here, Eric? Especially against a team who, uh, yeah, they they weren't blowing out teams by any stretch of the imagination. They did get three wins, but. Uh, obviously, didn't have to struggle. Um, uh, did uh, did Belgium uh, not like uh, Portugal? What? Uh, how much weight does that carry in the way you get uh, out of a out of a group when you get to the knockouts? Well, I, I agree with the with the the point about Germany being a, a bit of a wake up call. Uh, it was. Uh, I I think that Fernando Sanchez probably gave his players a little bit of an ear pulling, even if he should have pulled his own ears. Uh, as well but but apart from that i don't think that coming out of the group of death really has much of an impact at all uh maybe the 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 fact that they got a good result against france will will go some way and i also disagree with the point about belgium not playing any really good teams um i thought that for the better part of an hour they played they were played off the park by by denmark in the second uh group game that they had and it only took or it had to take uh, some Kevin De Bruyne uh, magic for them to turn that game around. And the the the, the setup to um, to slot that ball in for Torgan Hazard for the equalizer, and then the beautiful, beautiful left-footed finish to score the to score the winner a, a, against Denmark. I thought Denmark played them very very well and deserved to get at least a point out of that game. So I don't think it was it was the the a super easy group for Belgium, uh, mostly because of that game against Denmark. There is no doubt that Portugal had some bigger hurdles to overcome. But I don't I don't I don't buy the narrative that having come out of the group of death will give Portugal some sort of of uh, advantage going up against uh, Belgium. Ultimately, Belgium is stacked. The, one of the things that is going, um, one of the benefits that Portugal has is that Eden Hazard still hasn't found his best football, still isn't fully fit. So that takes away one of their weapons. But knowing just how unlucky we are sometimes, he'll probably play his best game of the tournament against us. It sometimes it sometimes does happen just like that for us. That is for sure. Uh, thanks, everybody, for uh, for all your Twitter questions. We do get a lot of them. I try to get to as many as I can. Uh, but uh, again, just uh, send them always uh, to uh, our Twitter account at Slesson Pod. Uh, greatly appreciate you guys uh, tur- uh, turning those in and uh, and sending them to uh, to Eric and I to uh, for us to discuss. 
Uh, I did have a question, Eric, uh, not Celeste Song related per se to the tournament, but uh, news out of, uh, I guess, Italy and uh, and England uh, from uh, Fabrizio uh, Romano. Uh, it looks like uh, Hui Patricio is going to uh, leave Wolves and head to uh, head to Roma where um, your favorite coach is uh, is going to be uh, taking over there. Uh, and in turn, uh, Bruno Lage is going to be bringing in Jose Sa to uh, to Wolves uh, to take over uh, for Hui Patricio. Uh, we'll talk about Hui Patricio here because uh, Jose Sa is not making any news right now during Euro 2020 for the, the for the national team. But what do you think of the potential move uh, from uh, from Wolves to uh, to uh, Roma uh, for uh, for Hui Patricio? Well, first of all, I'm pretty I, I'm convinced that. Jose Sain and Rui Patricio are exactly the same person. I've never seen them <laughs> in the same place at the uh, at the same time. Uh, I think it's a, it's a great move for for Rui Patricio. Uh, you know, he he has been an exemplary servant for for Wolves. Going to to Roma um, is a move up in his career. Um, you know, a, a team that that of which a lot more is expected being um managed by by Jose Mourinho is is going to be a, a benefit to him you know look I, I just like Jose Mourinho for for a lot of reasons I'm not suggesting he's he's a bad he's a bad manager um I won't go into all the issues that I have with him but I think that this is is a good move for for Rui Patricio as it is for for Sai as well a guy who I think could very well be uh, in, in this tournament, given how good of a goalkeeper he is. That is Eric Krakauer of BN Sports. Of course, he has been our Portugal match analyst throughout this tournament. Uh, Eric, uh, this is a matchup that you uh, were not looking forward to, so I'm not going to try to foreshadow your prediction here as we get to our predictions uh, for uh, for Sunday's match, but uh, what do you ultimately see happening uh, in this uh, round of 16 matchup between the defending European champions, uh, Portugal and the number one ranked FIFA team or ranked uh, by FIFA, uh, Belgium. Uh, what is the outcome that you are expecting in this round of 16 matchup? I think you're going to be surprised by my answer, but I think Portugal is going to win this game. Atta kid! Uh, yeah, and, and so far, I've I think I've been right about every result, right? So... Uh, so hopefully that, that continues. I think Belgium have a, a tremendous amount of ta- talent. The, the biggest concern for me is KDB. Um, he makes that team tick. I can't wait to see the matchup between Pep and and Lukaku. You know the Ooh, baby. the uh, the the what is it? The unstoppable force and the immovable object. And you can, uh, <laughs> per- perfectly those said. Monikers. Perfectly said. Yes, sir. Right, to, uh, to either one of, of those guys, Pep, I thought was very good against Germany. He's been look. This guy has been consistent forever. And you take away Cristiano Ronaldo from the equation, and Pep has been the best performer for the Portuguese national team for the last, for the better part part of the last decade. With João Moutinho in, in third place, I, I just think that despite the system issues, which I think could be problematic. I believe that this is this is actually a team that we match up against quite well, and given the 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 fragilities that I've seen from them, insofar as their back line is concerned, uh, I I think Portugal have a real chance of of beating 
Belgium. I just did a podcast yesterday with Max Brenos of LAFC and, and Keith Costigan of the Seattle Sounders, and they both believe that, that Belgium were going to go through, and I said Portugal, and I'm going to stick to that. Um, so let's see. Let's see. If we bet, if we beat Belgium, uh, then we have to face Italy next because I think Italy is going to make easy work of Austria, and that might be a bridge too far for the Portuguese national team, but I think we will get there. One step at a time, right? One step at a time. You got to crawl before you can walk. I will say this: um, you know, we, we talked, uh, we've talked about the reaction from uh, from the Germany match, and uh, and I was looking for the quote, uh, and I finally found it. Uh, it was from uh, Jean Pelinga after uh, after the uh, the match against France, uh, and he's quoted as saying, and this is obviously translated from uh, from Portuguese, but he said, "The game against Germany served as a lesson. The team improved a lot. We were more compact defending." Managed the ball better, and that was reflected in what you saw. After the Germany game, we took a hiding uh, from the coaching staff. Uh, we improved a lot, and we were able to analyze the previous match and correct the mistakes we made. Although France played in a different system, every one of us knew what we had to do, and I think you could see the effort everyone was putting in. I guess at the end of the day, Eric, effort is something that shouldn't is not taught, but if it is executed – uh, good things can happen, and, and it's not a guarantee that there's going to be a victory at the end of 90 minutes or, in Portuguese style, 120 minutes if you look back at the uh, the previous tournament. But uh, I think we go into this matchup feeling a lot better of just the effort. And it, it, did, it did seem like this, this squad, even though more talented on paper, there was a togetherness in this, in, in this instance out of the three matches there seemed to be a togetherness that was very similar to the 2016 team that that found a way to get a result every single time. We'll see how far it goes this go around, but in terms of just the a positive outlook and optimism, there's definitely a lot more heading into the round of 16 than what could have been following the Germany disaster. And for good reason, because we did see that improved performance against France. But again, and I, I think I made this point in, lo- in the last pod, Danny, that uh, I, maybe I'm maybe I'm confusing things because I also tweeted this out that even though France had more threatening arguments, I felt that we matched up better against them, and that's why when you asked me to predict the result in the last pot, I said it would be a draw, one one or zero zero. I think you might have said two two, so you may have been uh, on the money. I, you also said that we'd face Belgium. In a tweet, I think. No, so, I, I got, I got all, I got all sappy and uh, optimistic, and I, you know, showed my tattoo, and I had a size one uh, Portugal ball. I predicted the other side of the bracket, so it doesn't matter. But I predicted we'd get to the round of sixteen. I think we both did. That, well, that's that's the saving grace there, I guess. Right, and I like, and I like your 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 uh, positivity, but but I I do think, and I didn't believe this. Um, a week ago or a few days ago that there were lessons learned from that game against Germany. And we did see a, a much more resolute and solid defensive team a, against France. And I'll revisit something that I said to you a few days ago, which was Fernando Santos had learned nothing from the France Germany game. Well, after that hiding that we took against Germany, Maybe we did learn those lessons from that French game against uh, that France game against uh, Germany because we were more compact. Uh, 
because you saw a little bit more selflessness in in the approach. And if that is, uh, or if those are some of the the qualities or attributes that they take into the game against Belgium, I think they have a very good chance of beating the Belgium national team who have an excellent team. I don't think they have the same quality bench as, as we do. Uh, watch out for Doku, for, uh, uh, by the way, the, the, the winger who plays for, for Hen. He could really be uh, a danger man against Portugal. Um, I just believe that what I saw from, from Portugal's performance against France, there has been a changing of the course, and we are now heading in a direction that makes me believe that we could be contenders once again. And if we beat Belgium, you better believe that everybody else will take notice. And that includes Italy, who, for my money, are by far and away the favorites to win this Euro. Uh, we want to thank uh, Tom Cunder for the translation. Uh, we got that from Portugal.net, the, uh, the translation of that uh, João Palinha uh, quote regarding uh, the reaction from uh, – from the coaching staff uh, to the players uh, following the Germany game, uh, I, yeah, Eric, I was I was waiting for you to uh, to give us a, a a Belgium victory, and I was going to just be you know I was going to counterpoint that uh, with a Portugal victory. Just someone had to be right, and I'd rather be right in a positive sense. But now that you're predicting a Portugal victory, I'm just going to go with you too. I'd rather us both be wrong than and, and predict a, a Portugal victory here. Um, I I think it's going to be two one. Uh, I think we get a goal uh, from uh, from Hanat Sanch. I also think Ronaldo breaks the record uh, in a game-winning goal uh, variety, and uh, and I think we go through uh, through to the round of 16. Um, there, you know, Austria is going to need uh, a countryman uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger to somehow stand in front of uh, the goal there uh, if they have any chance against the Italy. But I do think uh, I, I like you. I think we're going to see a quarterfinal. Of uh, of Portugal and Italy, and uh, we shall see uh, how that goes. But first things first. Uh, hopefully, the Slesson takes care of business on Sunday, and uh, and then we'll be able to talk about uh, a uh, another uh, another knockout win for uh, for the boys in uh, in the red and the green. Yeah, I hope so. Listen, I'm going to predict Portugal beat Belgium in penalties. Oh, Jesus! My heart can't take that. I I well, I know. Listen. I know, oh. I know I'm I'm with you. I don't know how much <laughs> suffering I can take. I will also say this. I think Italy will beat Austria. But and, and I said this on another show. I don't remember which one. You're so I popular, Austria, man. I well, this is the time of the year when I'm popular. When I have to talk about <laughs> Portugal. So it, it it will you know, it won't last for very long. It, it pays to but be I, from Algarve, right, my man? That's right. <laughs> I, I think that I I actually think that that Austria if they if they revert back to the three-man center-back system that they used in the first game of the group stage, I think they could pose Italy some problems defensively uh, because they play very deep. So maybe those vertical runs from Italy won't be as efficient. And if we're lucky, if you know the footballing gods are on our side, as they should be, Danny, uh, Portugal beat Belgium and Austria upset Italy. And then we beat Austria and face, what, Spain? in the semifinals Spain uh, Spain so, or France yeah yes yeah, Spain or France I, I still think uh, Spain you know I said this the other day Spain for me are still one of the favorites so um, 
if we face anybody in the semifinals, I would put my money on Spain and not France. And then, and then we just uh, make England cry in the in the final. I like it, um, Eric. Uh, you know, guys, folks, you guys don't know we we uh, we were recording here. We started on a Thursday. We're ending on a Friday. Uh, it was uh, much worth it because uh, I've so I've enjoyed this these conversations with you, man. So uh, so much, and appreciate the commitment and appreciate the time that you've given us. And uh, look forward to hopefully a few more of these uh, throughout the summer as uh, we hopefully go deep into the knockouts. But uh, Get some sleep. Enjoy your uh, enjoy your weekend in New York City, and uh, we will uh, we will reconvene uh, uh, early next week uh, on uh, on episode number forty nine of this lesson podcast. Yes. And hopefully with some some positivity. And my apologies to the listeners. It is past three o'clock in the morning in New York City. <laughs> I have been up since the, the curtain has been revealed. In the <laughs> yes, I've been up since six thirty in the morning. So if I didn't make sense. Uh, during this podcast, there is a reason. You made all the sense in the world, my man. Thanks for making time, and uh, and thanks for uh, for everything you do for the show. And we will talk to you next week. Uh, thanks for having me again. And a huge thanks uh, to Eric Krakauer once again for joining us on episode number forty-eight of the Slesson Podcast. Yeah, he, uh, yeah, he he pulled back the curtain there uh, at the end when he said that it was three o'clock in the morning. Uh, New York time, East Coast time here in the States. So it was, uh, we had started just a little bit uh, before 11 p.m. on the West Coast, and uh, the conversation just kept going and going. Uh, just the commitment Eric has shown us uh, through this uh, tournament uh, to get us uh, the, the quality of content that he has provided us, uh, it just goes without saying how appreciative that. Uh, we are, and I obviously say it every episode, and I mean it from the bottom of my heart. I really do. That um, you know, the time that Eric has given us uh, during this tournament has just been invaluable to us, and uh, we greatly appreciate uh, his time and his expertise uh, on each of these episodes. And like I mentioned uh, before, hopefully we have a few more of these uh, during the tournament. So again, our thanks to Eric Krakauer of BN Sports, our Portugal match analyst. Make sure follow you follow him on Twitter. At Eric Krakauer. Again, that's E R I C K R A K A U E R. A big thank you to all of you guys um, who continue to support the podcast. Uh, you know, um, the last episode, and again, this episode is not uh, available video wise. I might throw it in, uh, throw it on uh, YouTube uh, just to have the audio on, just to, you know, again, just make it another spot where people can listen. But uh, this uh, this time it wasn't available via video, but um, YouTube buys the subscriptions uh, to uh, to YouTube got us to uh, the number of subscriptions I should say got us to a, a certain amount where I could customize the uh, the link to the YouTube channel, and I know that sounds kind of um, you know maybe not important in the grand scheme of things, and in the grand scheme not really, but it does give uh, it does make the link to a a channel like ours, uh, much more easy to make visible. And uh, you can now go to youtube.com slash C. Uh, the C stands for channel slash the Celeson podcast. So if you've bookmarked the uh, the uh, the link before, um, it'll still work uh, in the previous link. But if you haven't yet, look for a youtube.com slash C slash the Celeson podcast as uh, the uh, the URL that you can now uh, access the YouTube channel. 
Uh, and uh, with that, we've also had an uptick in uh, in followers on Twitter. Uh, again, Twitter is where we do the majority of our uh, interaction with uh, with you, the listeners. And uh, we have crested over 1,000 followers uh, during the tournament here. Uh, I think we started out at, at just over 800 uh, at the beginning of uh, of Euro 2020, and we have uh, we have grown exponentially uh, in the last uh, few weeks here. Uh, cresting uh, 1,000 followers, I believe, during the uh, the France game. Uh, so uh, just uh, greatly, greatly appreciate you guys, um, you know, following, uh, sharing the uh, the uh, uh, the information on social media, sharing the the show on so on social media, interacting with us on social media. Uh, can't thank you guys enough for uh, getting to uh, getting uh, the show to this uh, this spot uh, that it's currently in because more and more people are listening to this show. Uh, I, I am thankful for the opportunity to, uh, make this product available, uh, as, as, uh, as much as it possibly can be. Uh, but that doesn't happen without you guys interacting and, and sharing it on your social medias as well. So again, a, a big, 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 muito obrigado. And, uh, and a big thank you, uh, from yours truly for, uh, for all that you guys do, uh, in support of this program that uh, more and more people are listening to, and I'm greatly appreciative of that. So that will do it for episode number 48 of the Celeste Sound Podcast. Uh, again, Eric and I, uh, I, I was surprised again. I uh, thought he was going to go uh, with a Portugal loss, given uh, his thoughts on a potential matchup following the Germany match, um, the, the problems that Belgium could present us. Belgium still with plenty of problems to present us, but we both are... Uh, a bit more optimistic of uh, the the possibility of Portugal getting through simply based off of the reaction uh, and the uh, the response that the Celestial, uh gave us as fans uh, in that 2-2 draw against France. France, again, they were in no matter what. They were going to be in the round of 16 uh, no matter if they were going to be first, second, or third. Uh, Portugal had to fight for their position, for their qualification into the round of, uh, of 16, and it showed grit. It showed determination. And it, I thought it showed a lot of heart, uh, the way they responded following uh, the 4-2 loss to Germany. So um, Belgium is what awaits us uh, in the round of 16 on Sunday, the 27th in Sevilla. And uh, we are predicting a Portugal win. Let's hope that comes to fruition and that we are uh, speaking of a uh, quarterfinal preview uh, the next time you guys listen to us right here on episode 49 of the Celestial Podcast. So uh, that will do it for us on episode number 48 of the Celestial Podcast. Again, you can follow us on Twitter at Celestial Pod. You can uh, follow us on Instagram as well at Celestial Pod. CelestialPod.com is our website. Go ahead and bookmark it there. Facebook.com slash Celestial Pod. And you can email the show Celestial Pod at gmail.com. Of course, the YouTube channel, youtube.com slash C slash the Celestial Podcast. Uh, again, either the uh, the original link that you have bookmarked or that link that I just presented to you uh, will work. And obviously, all the links are available on our website, as I mentioned before, CelestalPod.com. Remember to uh, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or Spotify. Again, search the Celestal Podcast on your podcasting platforms. And uh, again, if you're on Apple Podcasts, give us that uh, five-star rating that I so much would enjoy receiving and throw us a little comment uh, of some Portuguese positivity uh, that would uh, also be greatly appreciated as well. My name is Danny Pinto. I have been your host 
of episode number 48 of the Celestial Podcast, a proud partner of Portugal.net and a member of the Blue Wire Hustle Podcast Network. Uh, guys, it's a big matchup on Sunday, so there's only one way to end this podcast, and it's this. Forza Portugal!